0: and suggest future topics and guests. Gary O'Sullivan is an Irish lawyer and partner in SOS Legal, which he co-founded in 2019. Prior to opening the firm, Gary spent seven months traveling through Central and South America. He lives in Cork, Ireland. Gary, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law and Business.
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. Pleasure to be spending some time chatting with you.
0: I'd love to start out by hearing more about your personal and professional background, including the time you spent traveling through Central and South America. So feel free to start wherever you want to as as early as you'd like with uh, personal and professional goals and uh, and how you ended up where you are now.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I grew up in Kinsale County, Cork, so it's a small town population, about four or 5,000 now at the moment. Uh, so I have one older brother, one uh, one older sister. And when I was young, my father worked in Germany for a few years. So my mother used to move us all over to, to Bavaria for the summer holidays. And so we used to have a great time uh, in Germany and traveling around Central Europe. So that was kind of the start of uh, getting used to traveling. From the law kind of side of things, I suppose I thought from an early age that I'd enjoy being a lawyer. I wasn't really a fan of reading When I was a child and I didn't really read too many children's books, I think the first book I read fully was The Client by Jan Grisham. So probably not uh, the usual thing uh, children read. I I later did uh, work experience when I was in uh, secondary school, uh, about age 16 uh, in a local farm. uh, And I made up my mind then at that stage, I'd like to study law in university. So, I always enjoyed languages and and history. So, I chose to study law and European studies in in the University of Limerick as my undergraduate. Uh, So, this was a law degree along with history and French with uh, a master's in criminal justice uh, in University College Cork. I always found criminal law fascinating and and really enjoyed my time uh, during the master's. And following on from there, I did the FE1 exams, which are eight exams you need to, to pass to get into law school in Ireland, uh, and I started working in a, a local general practice in Kinsale. So I did my traineeship there, which is what you have to do to qualify while while you are in law school. And as as a general practice, which that, that firm is, I got good exposure to a wide variety of uh, practice areas, uh, advising private clients. I qualified in 2013 as a solicitor, uh, went on to do a diploma in employment law and later trust and estate planning as these were the areas that I was primarily acting in and, and enjoyed. But I, I guess I'd always known I wanted to, to run my own farm one day uh, so that I could implement my own plans on, on how work should be done. And uh, a good friend of mine from, from law school, James Shanahan, uh, was in a similar situation. Uh, so we started to talk about the possibility of, uh, of setting up a, a farm together. But uh, I, I had always wanted to go traveling through Central and South America I knew setting up a, a business uh, would probably delay that for quite a few years. So uh, in 2018, I decided to go traveling first and then set up the firm when I got back. James was patient enough and uh, and luckily my girlfriend, Rachel, who's now my wife, uh, was also patient enough to let me go off traveling for, for seven months. And um, I guess the whole thing with Central and South America came from when I was younger reading uh, motorcycle Diaries by Che Guevara, uh, and thinking I'd love to travel through South America, Central America. But uh, I guess I knew I'd never survive on a motorbike, so uh, I, I mainly stuck to public transport throughout my time down there. The, the trip actually started in San Francisco because my brother was living there at the time. And uh, at the airport in San Francisco, I was flying to, to Guatemala City, and uh, my legal background actually came in quite useful because I was queuing at the the check-in and I asked the guy in front of me what's this the the queue for the Guatemala City flight so we started chatting and uh, it turns out he was a a judge in Guatemala City so my Spanish wasn't uh, wasn't great at this point and there was a connecting flight so he made sure I knew where everything was he gave me his phone number Uh, when I got to the airport in Guatemala he was phoning me on on WhatsApp, making sure I knew how to find the bus. Uh, And we stayed in contact um, throughout. And uh, he invited me to Guatemala City to to visit him and showed me all around the city. And uh, he was a member of the the Rotary Club and they had a big event and a a dinner on. And he brought me as as his guest. And I think they were quite surprised to find an an Irish uh, lawyer as a tourist in, in their city at the time uh, so that was that was good fun and one of my main goals um, with the traveling was I wanted to learn Spanish and be you know able to have conversations uh, close to fluent in in Spanish so I started off with uh, five weeks in Spanish school in Quetzaltenango which is the second city of Guatemala which locals called Shaila uh, and that was that was a great prayer time. I was living with a local family there um so I used to have all my meals with them. I was doing five hours a day one on one Spanish lessons, and then we'd have activities as well in the the afternoon. We'd do a lot of hiking, a lot of visiting local businesses and seeing you know seeing how the the local community worked uh, all the people there were were really really friendly and and helpful even in the the first week of, of lessons you know with beginner spanish you you have to do a presentation on a friday so it it was uh good to, to push push you into speaking you, you know a new, a new language in in front of people and um, so yeah i had to do a, a presentation every every friday and uh, they actually used to video it and put it up on their their facebook page so um yeah, the people at home, my family at home, could see how how bad my Spanish was, but uh, at least I was at least I was trying. And after Guatemala, then I, I travelled through southern Mexico. Uh, I was there for Dia de los Muertos, which was uh, certainly an experience. And I continued on uh, south, then from there back to Guatemala, down all the way to, uh, to Panama. And Rachel joined me there for for Christmas, and we uh, we sailed to Cartagena. At the San Blas Islands, uh, which was a gorgeous place to be for for New Year's, and definitely different to a to an Irish Christmas and, and New Year's. I love Colombia. Then the people were, were very friendly. One of the things that was a bit of a surprise was in Bogota there was there was a bomb while I was there at the at the police training school, uh, which killed twenty people, which I think was one of the biggest bombs there in a in a long time. But in fairness. to The people um, seem to kind of get on with normal life pretty quickly again after it, but it's certainly something uh, different to what uh, I'd be used to experiencing here. And from there, then I continued on down the the West Coast through Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and uh, and lastly, Argentina. It was was just a great experience to see all the different cultures and the landscapes. I did a lot of uh, hiking while I was there, and I think it's just such a, uh, a benefit to be able to go through all those all those countries with you know a basic language like getting getting to a level of Spanish that you could talk to people, which you can get to pretty quickly um, when you do lessons like I did, uh, and it just covers all of Central and, and South America. So it's a, it's a pretty unique place, I think that you can that you can do that, and uh well the benefit I, I got from it, I had a lot of time traveling on, on buses and in between studies and stuff to listen to podcasts, read books and kind of figure out how I wanted to structure the law firm. I knew I wanted to make it, uh, you know, focused on excellent customer service and a great place to work. The ability to work remotely was, uh, was very important to allow a life of future travels, which will hopefully start uh, getting a, a possibility again. So we wanted to be paperless, um, as well as for for environmental reasons, but just allowing us to, to work remotely. And I also, you know, saw the view that businesses should be more than just profit generating machines. Uh, I saw a lot of poverty in my travels, uh, and I knew that people in the developed world um, could do so much more to help the the worst off. So this is this is why I wanted to make it a, a public commitment for for our law firm um, that we would always contribute a minimum of five percent of our profits to charitable causes and i had come across the, the idea of effective altruism previously so i started to read a bit more about how we we help so many people if we we look for the most effective ways of of charitable giving rather than just the most obvious ways and so that was uh one of the one of the things i i certainly wanted to bring into the environment and, and we do that to this to this day that's
0: excellent background, Gary, and, and I think I'd heard the short version of it when we talked many months ago and worked on a project together, but it certainly is fun to hear about your, your travels, the, the adventures, I can't believe about the, the bomb in Colombia, I mean, what a, uh, what a great stories, but also a little harrowing to be in a foreign country when things are going on that you are not familiar with, especially at that level, I mean, I had, when I traveled and lived in China, I had some strange experiences, but nothing to that degree.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a strange experience. Um, and it was only a, a few kilometers, maybe three or four kilometers away from, uh, where I was staying. Um, I did notice, uh, increased police activity around the place, but I mean, it really was life continued on as normal because I went to, I went to a football match, uh, soccer match there that evening, same day. Yeah. And, uh, if, and it wasn't even an important match it was pre-season so um, you know what we'd call a friendly but there was there was police there like there would be normally but um, the match went ahead with a crowd of whatever 20 25,000 people in the stadium uh, and the bomb had just gone off maybe 8-9 hours earlier
0: Wow unbelievable although that shows the dedication of the of the Latin American communities to their their football matches right Certainly, yeah. They're, they're,
1: that, that is a, a common theme throughout, throughout all the countries, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's also interesting that, that you uh, read John Grisham. When, when I think back to what made me be a lawyer as well, I mostly tell people I, I went to law school by accident because I ran out of other options. But in reality, I went through a John Grisham kick in early high school for me. So that would have been when I was Fourteen, fifteen. I think I read all of the available John Grisham books that were in my school library during that time. And, and I thought that being a lawyer sounded like a lot of fun as well. Of course, now the law that you and I do are really nothing like nothing like the, uh, <laughs> the experiences of, of John Grisham's characters, but that's okay as well, because we actually get to have lives when we're when we're working with clients too. And, and we get to travel, right? So it's, it's not a bad, I, I think you and I ended up in a pretty good spot.
1: Yeah, I think we, uh, we got the better side of the, the work-life balance, I think, than the, than the, than the lawyers uh, John Grisham writes about. Right.
0: So you touched a little bit on this, uh, what SOS Legal does, and uh, your, uh, I love the altruism, uh, uh, very inspiring to hear about that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your services, what your focus is on, what you're good at, and, uh, and ultimately what kind of clients you work with right now?
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, we have our headquarters in, in Limerick uh, City, and uh, we've offices in Dublin, uh, the capital, uh, Galway, and Kinsale in, in County Cork, where where I'm from. Uh, we mainly act for for private clients and small to medium enterprises uh, across property transactions, business sales and purchases, wills and estate planning, litigation, and, and data protection advice. So it's a, a broad range of of services. And that's that we're involved in, really.
0: And I know that you do work with international clients because that's how I got to know you when one of my clients was working on a real estate transaction in Ireland. So can you tell a little bit about why international people come to Ireland? Are these people who live or work in Ireland and uh, and really, how welcoming is Ireland to foreigners? I know that a lot of countries have kind of a love hate relationship with tourism and and uh, immigrants. Whether those are are uh, immigrants are more on the poverty stricken end of uh, of life, or whether they are ones that are you know very well off and want to relocate on purpose. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, for for decades and probably more than a century, I think Irish people left the country to to find work primarily in, in the UK and, and USA. Um, if this happened again in, in the years following the collapse of Lehman brothers and, and the financial crisis that followed. So it's, it's a relatively uh, new uh, thing for, for Ireland to be able to have an inflow of people rather than an outflow. Uh, and happily, you know, we've seen a lot of Irish people return uh, in the last few years and, a lot of immigration from from all over the world, um, making Ireland a much more diverse society now. Uh, and Ireland is is a famously welcoming country. Uh, you know, tourism is a is a huge part of of our economy. Um, so I think Ireland has always been on the the side of welcoming as much tourism uh, as possible. Um, and you know, when it comes to people coming to live here i think ireland is very welcoming perhaps it's partly due to the fact that our ancestors had emigrated all over the world so you know we should know what it's like to to be migrants um and and since the eu expansion in 2004 you know a lot of eastern europeans came to to live in and work in ireland and they're a big part of the population now and and well integrated into into communities all over the country um and we do help uh, people from outside the, the EU buy properties here. You know, anyone who's in the EU, it's quite straightforward. And um, so, we do tend to have a lot of uh, clients from England, uh, the US, uh, South Africa. Uh, it it often involves uh, not only buying properties but doing wills and uh, estate planning, so that you have to work with a number of International advisors, so whether it's lawyers or tax advisors in, in multiple jurisdictions, uh, which is always uh, uh, an enjoyable experience because you get to, you know, talk to, to colleagues uh, like yourself and, uh, and other professionals to see how things work exactly in those jurisdictions and make sure the plan fits together as best as possible for the client. Uh, so that that certainly is a, an enjoyable part of it. In, in relation to, you know, how, how welcoming is Ireland for people that aren't just tourists and, and want to come come in here, the, the citizens of the European Economic Area, so uh, the EU and then Switzerland and the uh, and the UK, and um, there's really no issue at all coming to Ireland for uh, for U.S. citizens uh, like yourself. Uh, you can certainly come and. Uh, stay for three months without any visa so if you want to come on an extended holiday you're more than welcome if you're coming to work here you generally need a work permit uh, and have a job lined up in in ireland before you come and generally the the higher your salary the better better chance you have of getting a work permit Uh, what we do tend to see quite a bit of especially when it comes to the wills and estate planning when people are moving here is People that want to retire to Ireland, so say U.S. citizens uh, that want to retire here, the rules are a bit stricter. Always the best, the best thing to do is try to find an Irish parent or or grandparent so that you can get a an Irish passport. So that's the the quick solution. Uh, if you if you can't do that, then you need to have pretty substantial resources and uh, an annual income of fifty thousand per person. Um, which is I suppose quite quite high in in retirement, um, which would mean a hundred thousand for a couple that uh, that are moving to Ireland. And then there there is a scheme that the government brought in 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 2012, uh, looking to increase uh, investment into into Ireland, which is at a time uh, I suppose at the the depth of the the recession in Ireland, and it's called the, the Immigrant Investor Program. And uh, I know you guys do a lot of work with um, China. Uh, and, and this is a program that has definitely been spearheaded massively by Chinese nationals. Um, so there's been about 95% of successful applicants in, in the whole scheme are, are from China. So to give you uh, the figures on it, out of the su- successful applicants, 1,088 are from china and the next highest is the the us with 21. so um it's certainly been been pushed well in in china uh, and it in, it involves high networked individuals with a, with a personal wealth of at least two million euro and the the scheme requires them to, to invest one million euro for a minimum of three years and, and it gives them four investment options being Enterprise investment, investment funds, uh, real estate investment trusts, and the real estate investment trust is actually the minimum of two million. But they can also make a, a philanthropic donation of five hundred thousand, and that that qualifies uh, as as the investment. And if if they want to live in Ireland, then they do have residency throughout this time, and it's, and it's pretty easy for them to have residency for five years. And then that that ties in uh, nicely with an application for citizenship. So if if they've been living here for for five years, they can apply to become Irish citizens through through naturalisation. And uh, and the scheme has actually been been quite good uh, for a couple of areas. So that the money that uh, has been raised has been put largely into social housing projects uh, and and nursing homes. So it, uh, it's still continuing to stay and, uh, and hopefully um, it will continue to raise, uh, raise money for, for those kind of funds. So those are the kind of main ways that um, people can move here long term. You and
0: I have talked previously about Ireland as a good entry point for companies looking to go into the EU. Can you talk a little bit about why that is and uh, maybe how difficult or easy it is to set up uh, some kind of enterprise in Ireland as a springboard into the EU?
1: Yeah, well, setting up companies in, in Ireland is is quite uh, straightforward. It, uh, it can be done in you know, a matter of a week or a week or two once you have your... Um, your documents in order, and, and you know who directors or, or secretaries are going to be. Uh, you will tend to need uh, an EEA director, so anyone living in the European Economic Area. And um, I suppose the reasons that Ireland is is so attractive for for companies looking to get into the EU. There's there's many of them. The one you'll you'll be well familiar with, and perhaps most of the, the business world will be familiar with, is the corporate rate. Of twelve point five percent. Now this has this has changed uh, rec- recently, where uh, Ireland has agreed to the to the global minimum of fifteen percent, which uh, has been pushed, I think, mainly by the, the Biden administration. Um, but this this only applies to companies with revenues over seven hundred and fifty million euros, so maybe about eight hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, so the vast majority of of companies in Ireland won't hit, hit that threshold and they they keep uh, paying corporate or corporation tax at, at 12.5%. And then on top of this, there's the, the 25% research and development credit. So this is very beneficial. It applies to a vast uh, amount of areas of research and development. So you can claim it for software development, engineering, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, even financial services and agriculture. Um, so it, it does apply to a lot of industries and the credit operates by giving you up to 25% of your, your R&D expenditure in a tax credit, which essentially you claim against corporation tax and, and reduce your your tax even further than the, the 12.5%. Uh, and apart from the numbers and the, the tax side of things, which is obviously uh, an incentive to come here, we're now the only English-speaking country in the in the eurozone, which is, you know, quite attractive. I think for uh, companies that are you know English-speaking companies coming from the US or other parts of the, other parts of the world that want to do business in in English, we are we are known for having pro-business policies. Our government is is certainly known for for being pro-business, and our our agencies such as Enterprise Ireland and the industrial development agency have an excellent track record i think we don't really realize it too much within ireland because so much of their work is is focused on going to going to the united states and going to other countries you know selling ireland as a as a location to to do business uh, and they've been extremely successful successful for for decades another factor uh, i guess along with the the fact that we're we're the only english speaking country is we're seen as being committed to the EU membership. So if companies come here, then they're not going to um, be at risk of being outside of the, the European union. You know, there's not going to be um, a vote here uh, to, to leave the European union like there was in, in the UK. Uh, so that certainly, that certainly gives, uh, give, gives companies comfort uh, in, in moving here. and, we're a small country and a single jurisdiction, so it's not uh, it's not similar to the states where you know you have different laws in, in different states. It's it's one jurisdiction, so we we can move quickly enough. And the fact that we're a small country means, as we've we've less uh, organisations to be to be dealing with, uh, so it, it should make it easier for. For joined up thinking between the, the different organisations that companies have to deal with, and then the, the talent that we have here, I suppose, is uh, is a crucial thing. We have the youngest population in the EU, so a third of our population is under under 25. We're one of the fastest growing digital digital economies in Europe, and our our education system is is very good and very focused on uh, tech. So there's there's a huge amount of people. In, in university uh, studying STEM uh, subjects, so the, the talent is there to support a lot of the, the tech companies that have have come here, and and most of the biggest companies in the world are are putting their their European headquarters here, you know. So you've got Google, Apple, uh, Meta, they're all here, uh, Amazon. So so other companies can can look at Ireland and and say. There's certainly a track record there. Um, if all the, the biggest companies uh, in the world are, are putting their European headquarters in Ireland, then you know they must have their their research done and they're they're going there for for a reason. So I, I think that that all going together, you know, makes Ireland a very attractive place for for companies um, to come here and set up.
0: That's all excellent. Can you talk a little bit more from a personal perspective now about what's going on in Ireland? Kind of business news, political news, anything else that uh, is on everyone's mind right now. And maybe just kind of what life is like living in Ireland for those of us who who have g- great fanciful dreams from reading maybe some James Joyce back in uh, back in university studies.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh there's there's a few things um going on um that I think are kind of relevant uh one that that may be happening in in every country around the world now as we hopefully come out of the the pandemic is the the issue of of remote working so there's a government bill at the moment that's receiving a lot of coverage um known as the the right to request remote working bill so it's the government trying to to say they're they're learning lessons from the, the pandemic and um they want to put it on a, a formal footing that people can can request remote working it, i mean it is at the bill stage at the moment and it has received uh, quite a bit of criticism that it it's not going far enough for for workers it is seen uh, certainly as favoring employers at this stage but it it is a it is a tricky one to to get a balance uh, balance in so it's it's allowing employers to to refuse the request to to work remotely for a number number of grounds. So so things like uh, the burden of additional costs, or if you've if the employer has concerns about confidentiality or intellectual property, and then one is if it, if there's excessive distance between the the proposed uh, remote location and the on-site location, and that's a bit of a controversial one because the government is pushing remote working and especially for public sector workers. They're they're looking to create hubs in towns and and villages around the country so that people won't be so reliant on living in Dublin or commuting into Dublin. And there's there's discussions about it going on in government. So I'm saying it, it really means you shouldn't be in another country that you have to fly back to Ireland to go into the office, that kind of a thing. But we don't we don't know how it'll how it'll end up i th- i think that option of people heading off to Barbados or whatever for for a few months it, it may well happen if the if the market um if the market is a, an employee's market and and they can get the the work done i think a lot of employers will say you know we don't we don't care if you're two minutes away or whether you're the other side of the world as long as the work is getting done when when it should be done. So that's that's receiving a lot of coverage at the moment. One thing I suppose that's been going on for quite a few years is the the issue of housing. Uh it's been a one of the major political topics for for a number of years. So in in Ireland there's there's always been a huge desire for, for home ownership, far more than a lot of European countries that tend to have a tradition of of renting you'll generally see most Irish people would will want to own their own home um, you know, for their own security reasons. And it's becoming um more difficult for people um with the with the lack of housing supply and rising costs. Um so I guess all over the world is seeing the supply costs rising for, for construction, timber and for timber and other supplies. Uh, so that's that's partly driving costs up. they've been going up since maybe 2012. Uh, So on a a practical side, I guess we see it with a lot of young people um, buying their first houses later on. Uh, And when it comes to to mortgages, they they tend to need help from from parents to to secure the deposit um, so that they, they have enough to put a deposit down on the house and comply with the, the lending um, rules of the, of the central bank. So generally people are allowed to, to get a mortgage for three and a half times their, their salary, which is a rule brought, brought in uh, following the, the recession where, where I think lending was a bit, a bit uh, more freely um, given out uh, in Ireland. Um, so that's where I suppose we're seeing it in, in practice Um the cost of renting is is also a huge uh, huge problem in in dublin um certainly and in the other in the other cities and and major towns throughout ireland it's it's constantly increasing and um there there is a need for more affordable housing schemes that the government um are planning to bring in and and social social housing so the government um used to build far more Affordable houses and, and social houses, but there's certainly been an, an over reliance on private private rentals in, in the last number of years, and uh, and that's certainly um, kind of been a major political uh, issue that uh, that has been going on now for for a number of years. And then I guess uh, another thing that's not happened yet in Ireland, but is coming down the line in in an area that that I be interested in um, is the, the SHREMS 2 decision for international data transfers. There's been a, a recent uh, decision in, in Austria and it's been followed up in the last week by France basically saying that Google Analytics is, is illegal in, in Europe because of it being transferred to the US and you know this follows on from the Safe Harbor uh, agreement being, being struck down 2015 and Privacy Shield in in 2020. So I think this could have a, a major effect on on business and and Ireland is the European headquarters of all the companies uh, involved in the major things. Uh, so you know Meta has their their Facebook Connect platform is in the is in the firing line as well uh, as Google Analytics. Um, so they're all they're all based here. So it's going to certainly be a, a big issue for the the data protection commission here in ireland to deal with and it'll be interesting to see um how they do deal with it because websites are are not going to you know just take down google analytics without uh, without having to do it because it's it's a huge part of business and and has surely only been increasingly so since more and more businesses have gone um online uh, since the pandemic started there may there may well be um a new agreement, a new privacy shield. I think that the European Commissioner are, are currently in talks with um, their US counterparts, uh, and there's rumours there could be one by by May. But uh, it's it's hard to see how it can it can survive another challenge. So I think Shrem's Tree is probably in the pipeline if if another uh, agreement uh, comes in, because you know, the, the main main issue is. GDPR rights of of Europeans are are far in excess of the the data protection rights in most of of the US, Uh, and when the data transfers are coming into the US, uh, like in like with Google Analytics, they're they're subject to US surveillance surveillance agencies because uh, because it's not US citizens. So that's the the major problem, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see. How it is resolved, if it will be resolved, because I think it'll have a, a major impact on, on global business um, with with all these uh, major tech companies, um, subject to decisions that are going to come out pretty soon in, in Ireland and, and across Europe. Fascinating, Gary. Thanks for that insight, especially
0: into the data privacy waves that are that are sweeping all over the world. It's very very interesting. It's been excellent uh, talking to you today. I really enjoyed it, uh, getting to know your practice better, your personality better, and certainly your, your work ethic. Uh, we always like to end the podcast with recommendations from you. I'll, I'll throw my own on as well. But have you read anything or listened to anything or watched anything recently that you think would be good for the audience? Or uh, And maybe you have any tourism recommendations for Ireland or anywhere else uh, in, in your region that we should know about?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm 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 from a tourist town so I'm certainly happy to give tourist recommendations for for things that I think um the audience might be uh, might be interested in or might be useful. Um uh, a book I'd recommend is um it's called Doing Good Better: Effective Altruism uh, and a Radical New Way to Make a Difference by by William McCaskill. It's a, a fascinating book that uh goes goes into all the ways you can, you know, make the the best um best uh, solution for you know your your philanthropic ideas and th- there's actually also a very good uh, podcast uh, if you prefer to listen to a podcast it's episode 120 of the, the Tim Ferris uh, show so your your listeners might uh, might find it easier to, to listen to the podcast for for all of us in the in the professions um, I recently read a, a, a book called the Future of the Professions. How technology will transform the work of human experts um, by Richard Susskind and Daniel Susskind. Um, and now they've they've done a lot of um, research and and published a lot on this area over the years. And I think it's a, a very useful area. Certainly, people starting out in any of the professions to get an idea of what the years ahead are are going to have and, and what you should have in mind as you plan out your Career strategy, um, because AI is going to have a, a substantial effect, I think, on on the legal profession and and all professions. For for a bit of Irish art, uh, I I would think uh, my favorite uh, my favorite Irish movie is uh, is Intermission. Um, it stars Colin Farrell and Killian uh, Murphy, and uh, it's possibly um, the the funniest irish movie there's there's multiple layers of irish humor in it uh, it's kind of a kind of a dark humor but the the dialogue is is great in it. Uh, it's um definitely well worth to watch if you're if you're looking for a laugh um at any stage and for for tourism advice for ireland uh, i guess first of all i'd say think about the weather um so the weather is usually manageable you know 12 months of the year but uh but definitely May to September is the is the best time to, to visit for, for a bit more sunshine. I I would say driving is generally the best way to get around. You know, if you're sticking just to the cities, public transport is is fine, but uh, to get the most of, of uh of a visit to Ireland um having your own car to, to get around to all the all the, the beautiful spots is is certainly the best way to do it. You know, either that or, or organized tours that'll take you to a lot of the the, the best places. Um, and uh, I I personally think that the west coast of of Ireland is um, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And there's a there's a well marked out route to to drive uh, or or cycle if you're if you're that way inclined. Uh, it's known as the the Wild Atlantic Way. So it's it's it begins in the the north of the country. Uh, up in the Inishowen Peninsula in, in County Donegal, and goes through um, highlights like uh, the Aran Islands, uh, Cliffs of Moher, and finishes in, in Kinsale, which is where I live. Um, and Kinsale is a is a gorgeous town. I might be a bit biased, um, but uh, a place uh, that reminds me of it that you might know is is Sausalito. It's quite similar to Sausalito. and uh, and certainly uh, I would recommend. Uh, visiting can and uh, and the west in, in general it's a it's just a, a lovely place to um to travel especially if there's a bit of sunshine
0: excellent recommendations gary thank you for those my recommendation for this week is uh, an article titled manchester united legends to create world's first soccer dow this is interesting to me on a lot of levels partly because i'm a uh, you can tell this was written by uh, an American probably because we're talking soccer instead of football. But uh, I grew up playing soccer, so I love that. But also, uh, we've been doing a lot of work at our firm on some of the emerging Web3 areas like NFTs and DAOs and uh, counseling clients on what's happening, kind of explaining what's happening and how the these new Web3 protocols and organizations like DAOs are uh, how they f- how they fit within the current legal structure? Uh, a lot of them think that they can escape legal structure, but uh, Gary, as you and I know, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to be subject to someone's laws. And so, uh, t- interesting, especially from the international business perspective, when we're looking at cryptocurrencies, we're looking at DAOs, and uh, of course, then you join soccer altogether. And ultimately, it's a it's a really fun exercise to think about uh, and understand when you join a DAO, when you, uh, you know, when you buy a token or a coin, or you're somehow part of a, uh, some blockchain technology company, uh, you know, what, what do you own what, what your rights are? Are they enforceable? And so those are the kinds of things that we talk about. And we've actually been putting up short YouTube videos on our, on our YouTube channel, talking about some of these things. And Fred and I are going to sit down later today, uh, and talk about NFTs. So we'll have some of those coming out as well. So anyway, this article is, gives you a little bit of view into what people are doing with with cryptocurrencies and DAOs. Uh, the, again, the title is Manchester United Legends to Create World's First Soccer DAO. It's on the Decrypt website, and uh, we'll provide a link when we post the uh, blog content for this episode. Gary, with that, I want to thank you for being with us again and uh, certainly looking forward to meeting you in person, either on on your side or my side of the ocean.
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. And, and just to let you know, you'll be safe calling it soccer in Ireland because we, we do the same because we've got Gaelic football over here. So we call, we call it soccer. So you're safe enough uh, when you come to Ireland. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Been a pleasure.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken. music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.